Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. Today, we'll be discussing all things related to job site safety, safety technology, creating a safety culture, and what the future may bring to construction safety. Long story short, we're going to be saying the word safety many times today. It also just happens to be Safety Week, so we pulled in leaders from two of our partner organizations to share their insights on building an impactful safety culture with an emphasis on technology. This week, I'm joined by Stan Singh, Director of Product Management at Raken, and Lee Evans, Co-Founder and Chief Growth Officer at MyComply. Thanks for joining me on the show today. I'd love to learn more about how each of you ended up working on safety technology specifically and what your paths through the construction industry looked like. Lee, how about you go first? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. This is a super great opportunity for us and really excited to be here. So my name is Lee Evans, one of the co-founders of MyComply. I take the title Chief Growth Officer. Now, my background, I grew up in a construction family. So my father and aunt were both career home builders. Two of my brothers were carpenters. One's a civil engineer. So a lot of our family dinners around Easter talk about building and uh, construction and real estate. And uh, I actually took a path into banking, but ended up as a technology advisor for tech companies and met the co-founders of MyComply. They started talking about sort of the digitization of construction and how you know the revolution is starting to happen. And I joined up with those guys and very excited to be a part of, of digitizing construction and, and the different processes in it. In it. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing that. And it's it's not an uncommon thread that I've heard as I've started this show to hear, you know, a very nonlinear path into construction. Oftentimes there's like a family background and then there's this like 90 degree turn where suddenly we're all fully immersed in, in contact. Stan, how about you? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Eric, for having me. So I actually have a construction background graduated with a mechanical engineering degree from UCSD. And while I was at UCSD, I was actually running a painting business to pay for college. So I did that for a couple of years. And that's what really got me into construction management. So when I graduated, you know, I had the opportunity to go work for maybe a mechanical firm or go work for a construction firm. And I happened to choose construction work for Turner. And lucky enough, I was back on my campus building dormitories right next to my dorm for a couple of years and was with Turner for about six years, then kind of worked with uh, Kitchell doing multifamily and then had a chance to kind of transition from construction to construction tech, working for Bluebeam. Kind of helped open up their San Diego office and had a sales kind of CS role in the construction tech space for a couple of years. And then you know, I was kind of approached by um, our, our then founder, Kyle uh, at Raken to kind of help lead the product team. So that was about almost six years ago. And we were a small team of maybe five people, probably the size of my office right now at my house. And now we've grown into about 100 plus folks uh, focusing on the field, foreman superintendents, their workflows and helping capture those workflows and provide data and insights back to the office. So always, you know, tried to leave construction, but construction has always had this common thread since college for me. So, you know, went from construction, construction tech sales, and now product management for construction tech. So. I uh, definitely enjoy the the space and, and I've been very grateful to to be working for for Reagan. Well, that's excellent. And I think between the the three of us, we've got a very widely diverse entry point into the industry. So it's going to be fun to, you know, unpack some some safety focused conversation and all of those things. And so for the first segment of the show, we're going to be discussing Safety Week, how the pandemic impacted safety and construction and give some advice for creating a safety culture at your organization. We'll follow this with a discussion specifically on safety technology and what the future might bring. And I think it's clear that Safety Week looks a lot different than it has in the past due to the hybrid working environment most of the construction industry has implemented in response to the pandemic. And with that in mind, I'd like to start by hearing more about what you both are seeing as the current normal regarding safety standards on most projects. Leah, how about you kick this one off? Sure. 
So I'd say you know, pre-pandemic job site safety protocol and having a safety program in place, you know, was the is industry norm. I think what you what you saw with the pandemic is a new layer of safety management, a new layer of, hey, we know we've got new checks and balances for our job site. We've got to do health screening. We've got to track who's on the site when. We've got to make sure everything's clean, social distancing. So there's new, there's new safety requirements that are added to your safety program. I think one of the biggest challenges that we've seen you know, contractors face is being able to communicate that information adequately to all the companies that are working on a project. And that's really, I think, where technology is going to be a huge resource for these contractors in adapting how they how they communicate safety information to the folks on their job sites, both relation to related to COVID, but also just everything else that they need to know about, you know, for safety on the job site. So for most of our listeners, like the the pivot to COVID safety had to happen so quickly too. And I'm just so impressed at how adapted to problem solving the construction industry is in general, because there were so many unknowns when, when this conversation started a little bit more than a year ago, you know, about, you know, how we could actually go back to work and ensure that our, our teams are safe. And obviously safety is paramount, you know, throughout our industry, you know, above all else. Stan, do you have any, any insight that you could share as far as that new normal that we're experiencing tied to COVID? Yeah, totally. I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday because, you know, we were in touch with our customer advisory board and they were kind of giving us updates on how they're managing safety on the job site. And it was so new and information was coming in almost every hour in terms of policies and changes. And really it boiled down to establishing trust with your trade partners and your workers. You know, you gotta imagine these guys are coming in working and then they have to go back home and make sure that they're protected, their families are protected. So having those active communications with your workers, your partners, your trade partners was key because you want to make sure that the job site itself is secure and you're doing everything impossible to ensure that it's safe. So what we saw a lot of our contractors and our clients do is, you know, have cleaners come on sites, have, you know, uh, shifts, different shifts. So there aren't as many workers on site, you know, things where, you know, you, you would typically like installing a window or installing drywall where you need multiple people to carry those things. Now you have to think about that differently. You have to wear face masks and gloves and all those things. So all those things kind of became on the forefront because all the things that we took for granted now are like, well, can we do that? How do we do that safely? And all the things that you normally would do that, you know, you don't even think about now you have to kind of think about and then, you know, fill out JHAs and AHAs and things of that nature. So those active conversations with the workers was key because you want to make sure that they come back to the site. They feel protected. They feel secure because they have to earn a living. They have to come back home, make sure their family is safe. And also, you know, you have to make sure that the job continues to, to move forward and the schedules are met. So those are some of the things that I noticed. Some of the key things that kind of came up a lot was things that maybe you and I take for granted, just like porta potties, you know, like cleaning of porta potties. I remember working at Turner, you know, we'd maybe clean the porta potties, you know, a couple of times a week. Now it was like three times a day with COVID. You know, you want to make sure that's safe. And then the conversation kind of became into well, why are we even using porta potties? Why don't we have permanent toilets? You know, in this day and age, we should have permanent toilets for the job site. We have it for the trailer, for the GCs, and you know, sometimes the subs. But for the workers, they're still leveraging porta potties. So all those common things that people took for granted started coming up in the forefront. And you know, I'm hoping you know, the, you know, in the COVID, post-COVID world, those those things kind of follow through, and we have better safety and more just you know, humane kind of practices so that we have uh, safer job sites and, and our, our you know, workers are protected. I think you're on point there too. Like the intentionality has changed a lot and, and we had to obviously because there was a new, a new thing to respond to from a safety perspective that most people hadn't really considered. And I'm hopeful that, you know, like you said, some of those lessons learned can make it into um, just, you know, default safety strategy. And so for our listeners who are still considering how to roll out an effective safety week plan, even if they're unable to gather for the traditional safety-focused events, how can they ensure that the, the week is still impactful, even if you know, not everybody is sitting down for a barbecue at the end of the day and necessarily seeing safety demonstrations? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I remember at Turner, you know, we would have full stand-downs and essentially half-day dedicated towards safety uh, during the course of the week and have the barbecues, as you mentioned, for workers and their appreciation. Obviously, those things are not as not not possible, but a lot of companies are leveraging Zoom. 
obviously, to be able to remotely connect with the job site using, you know, apps like 360 cameras to kind of show documentation and progress and of that nature. And one of the things that, that you know, COVID has kind of brought to the forefront is safety. You know, we always say safety is everyone's responsibility, but in actuality, what ends up happening is it's usually the superintendent and the safety manager that's kind of doing all the documentation when it comes to safety. Now with COVID, you know, everyone's thinking about safety. Like, how do I actively have a safe job site? So you're having these conversations on a daily basis. And that's what I liked a lot is because you now can't just take it for granted. You know, safety is not a reactionary thing. It's something that's proactive and you have to take measures. So having those active conversations, a lot of companies leveraging different shifts. And instead of having a full stand down where everybody gathers, you know, they're essentially saying, okay, I got my supers. My supers are going to do small stand downs with their crews and, you know, distill the message throughout the crews, uh, throughout the different shifts and ensure those best practices are being met. You're seeing digitization happen a lot. You know, things like pen and paper, uh, we used to take for granted for everything. Now they're like, well, can I share a pen? Can I share my paper? Can I send that to you? So everything is now digital. So everyone's leveraging tools to digitize their workflows, do their toolbox talks, their JHAs, their checklists and their forms. And you don't have to pass paper around that's being touched by people. Now it's all stored on the cloud. So that adoption increased dramatically. So that was one of the key things that that I saw. And, and the biggest thing is obviously the active conversations. You know, Every day you're ensuring that the workers are safe. You're having conversations about how we can build our project safely. And that's the key thing that I've noticed and a big change because now it's proactive. Now it's top of mind. Now it's everybody's responsibility and not just the superintendent and the, and the safety manager. Yeah, I think even, I love that, love that point, Stan, of you know, safety isn't just the safety manager's responsibility anymore on a job site. I think when you look at what COVID did in terms of bringing, you know, personal safety to the focal point is everyone hyper-focused on, you know, I got to keep myself safe on the job site. I got to keep other people safe on the job site. And that theme needs to remain. Like that theme needs to be, you can't go back to, all right, this is the safety manager's job. Everybody needs to be bought into the safety program on the project. Everybody needs to understand what they need to do to keep themselves and others safe on a project site. And everybody needs to have, you know, basic understanding of, what safety requirements a job site has and should be able to validate that they've received that information. And again, building upon what Stan said about Zoom is, you know, you can get a free Zoom account where you can have a 40 minute conversation with up to 100 people and you can do this for free. There's no cost restrictions to have digital communication with your team and have, you know, real engaging conversations with folks that they may be able to do in a more convenient way now as a result of, hey, I can do this while driving home or on the on the subway to work. So yeah, lots of different stuff that we saw throughout COVID that kind of made us rethink how safety should be managed on projects. And, you know, the question of who should be involved isn't a question anymore. It's everyone. And I think uh, even stepping outside of safety for a minute, the the digital transformation acceleration for the construction industry over the course of the last year is going to impact you know, our, our industry in a really positive way simply because it's going to reduce waste. We're going to have, you know, more documentation, less rework, less building off of outdated plans. So like for me, I guess that's that's one of my silver linings. But I'd like to hear if either of you are seeing any new safety processes or tech strategies or any other silver linings, you know, resulting from this uh, this last year that we really should make sure we're implementing after the pandemic. I can kick this one off. So, you know, when it, when it comes to data capture, I think that's probably one of the biggest leaps forward that the industry has made throughout the pandemic is, you know, we started with health surveys and, you know, check-ins, check-outs to do contact tracing, but then you realize, you know, the data of when workers are on our site, when they left and make sure that they're healthy while on the job site, like that should be captured always, you know, it should have been captured pre-pandemic. It should, you know, it should continue to be captured. Outside of that, as Dan mentioned earlier, cameras, you know, 360 reality capture, wearables, IoT devices, you know, there's a lot of variety of solutions that can be implemented on projects to allow you to capture really valuable data. Also, I think one of the things we've noticed over the last few years is the, you know, the continued emergence of the CIO position within, within different companies and organizations and, you know, kind of seeing now smaller and smaller companies still investing in that, that role. Super key, I think, you know, having somebody within your organization that's prioritized tech evaluation and procurement is, you know, going to be a huge, huge theme coming out of the pandemic, and I, I don't see it stopping. 
Yeah, I mean, just to add to that, I would say QR codes. You know, everyone is now, everyone knows what QR codes, and it's primarily because, you know, the mainstream kind of commercial audience for restaurants and everything, everyone's just using QR codes. So now that adoption of QR codes on the job sites for construction workflows, whether it be COVID check-ins or filling out forms, and the biggest thing that QR codes have done is, is allow for the worker to participate in technology, right? Now we have to collect information from the worker. He's engaging with that QR code workflow, whether it's a form, whether it's a COVID check-in, whether it's an observation report. So those things have become very interesting and, and the, the, the amount of friction has been reduced tremendously for them to be able to engage in those workflows. So as software providers, you know, we have to kind of look at that and say, wow, you know, we're seeing this shift happen. We're seeing workers start leveraging technology in a very simple, easy to use manner. And QR codes was, you know, one of the things that allowed for that. But now where can we take this, right? We we want to make sure the other thing that that I've also noticed is and I was thinking about this like last night when I was prepping for this was just the displacement of workers from other industries, right? The hotels, the restaurants and whatnot. So, you know, and we in the construction industry have this huge labor shortage. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if we see more workers come into the trades. And one of the things that's going to entice them is technology, right? They don't want to come into an industry that's backwards and laggard, right? They want to come into an industry that's, you know, forward thinking. And COVID, you know, has kind of put that on the forefront and kind of put, you know, gasoline to that fire just because now we can leverage technology. Now we have to think about it in those things. And hopefully we'll entice some of these workers that have been displaced and they can take roles in construction and hopefully we can, you know, reduce this labor shortage. So that's one of the things that, that I'm kind of looking forward to. The other thing is just mental well-being, right? That's kind of become the forefront because you're targeting the workers and, you know, they're coming to, to, the, to the job site, but then they have to go back to, to their homes. So having those conversations, making sure that they're actively engaged, that they're healthy mentally, because you know, you're not seeing anybody. You come to the job site, you're covered up, you can't see people, you do your work, you go back, and then you're in your quarantine at home. So the only kind of escape you have is to come to the job site. So being able to engage and making sure that you're having those conversations with your workers so that they're mentally engaged and they're feeling good because it, you know that mental toll has been has been pretty high not just for the workers but across the across the world for everybody so that's another thing that that we want to make sure is on the forefront and then one of the things that came up in our in our customer advisory board was we talked about this was you know do we see companies leveraging you know modular construction prefab more and more just because the environment environment is controlled you know you're not at a physical job site you're at a factory or an industry site and you know you can take all the the preventative measures, make sure everyone's safe, socially distanced. So those are things that I see being you know, leveraged more and more because the schedule and the demands of the owner are still the same. Obviously COVID hit, they're like, okay, well, it's gonna take, everything's gonna take longer. No, I still want everything for the same amount of money, for the same amount of schedule that I previously allotted for. So how do we do that? So a lot of companies are leveraging uh, prefab, modular construction. Owners are being more and more aware about those things because they realize the cost of construction on job sites. So I think those things will kind of come to the forefront. Uh, you'll see more and more projects leveraging those things. Uh, so that's going to be exciting to see you know, how, how this shift kind of transitions. And hopefully we're not as laggard as we were as an industry. We kind of you know, jump, hop, skip a couple years quickly into, uh, into the future. Stan, I feel like you've been sitting in on a bunch of my internal meetings recently because you're talking about a bunch of stuff that uh, that that I've been talking about lately. And you know, you raise so many good points there. You both do. I think in the last year in particular, employers are playing a very different role in employee wellness than they ever have previously. Like that that mental health conversation has changed so dramatically. And it's not that, you know, resources weren't in place or anything, but when the entire populace of the world is, you know, existing at maximum stress for months and months and months, the conversation changes. But I, I'm appreciative of it. And that's one thing that I do hope continues on for all industries, not just construction. And the the tech part of what you were sharing also kind of resonated with me in, in engaging 
engaging people with technology to one, address the, the labor shortage, and then two, to hopefully reduce some of the tensions that have traditionally existed between the, the job site and the, the home office, for lack of better terms. Like one of the last GCs that I worked for, there were 450 or so people on staff, and I think only 200 had an email address because a large percentage of them were, you know, just were, were labor focused. And if you're not engaging people in that in that technology way, it's it's a very different conversation. So I'm I'm pleased to hear that that's hopefully changed a little bit over the course of the last year, and hopefully you know accelerates that that adoption of uh, technology for more people on the project, because that's the, that's the way we catch the young people to, uh, to, you know, join this industry. And most of them don't realize that there's so much cool tech to play with every day if you're on site. So I'm going to sh- continue shouting it from the, the mountaintops and hopefully we'll, you know, address that labor shortage as best we can. But as the world, you know, starts to reopen and the vaccine vaccine distribution scales, and I know that's different in some countries compared to the United States right now, but I'd like to hear what you think the construction industry should be doing today to stay on track from a safety perspective. Like, I, I'm fearful that some people might let their guard down or, you know, jump right back into pre-COVID territory, and I'm not sure that that's the right path, but I'd love your insights on it. I would say embrace the changes that we've experienced, you know, through COVID and and not go back and not revert back to what it was like before. So the key thing, very simple things that you have to do, you know, having those active conversations that you're having with your workers and staff every day, you know, making sure you're still leveraging digital tools to document what's happening, you know, doing trainings and and via toolbox talks and and check-in, COVID check-ins and, you know, JHAs and things of that nature. And then just like basic human needs, like, hey, you know, I was talking to one of my clients and, you know, he was just bringing up this idea of porta potties. And, you know, I remember being at Turner and we had porta potties, but I never liked to use a porta potty. We always had a permanent toilet in the trailer, right? And I don't think anybody wants to use a porta potty. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and I remember one of my executives, you know, every time she would say, hey, if we have a new job, we need to have a permanent toilet for the staff. I'm like, well, well, why is that just for the staff? We should have it for all the workers, right? We want those clean toilets that are cleaned every day. So just those basic needs, uh, having permanent sewer connected, that's easy to do. If you already have it for the trailer, you can do it for the rest of the staff, right? So, So those small things make a big difference in ensuring you have trust with your workers, making a clean job site. I remember, you know, every month we would do all the, the GC staff, all the PEs, the safety managers, even the executives, we'll do cleanup with all the workers, right? And uh, instead of just doing a monthly thing, we can do that as a weekly thing, right? Making sure the, the, the job site's clean and, and those simple things go a long way in ensuring trust and making sure that people feel valued and that they're, they're feel safe. Uh, and obviously with the vaccine, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how things change. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the construction making progress in this department and not converting back to what it was before. Exactly. You know, I think if anything, we can hope for the industry to build upon what has happened already and, you know, the new processes that have been implemented to keep workers safe, you know, as you screen them for their health as they enter a job site and, you know, wanting to ensure that you know when folks are on a job site, perhaps, you know, then they'll want to go further and build upon it and say, hey, let's make sure that everyone's qualified to perform their work properly. And that goes beyond, you know, and just continues to build upon, hey, we know we got to be tracking the when people are on site from a health and safety perspective. So I think that, you know, the stuff that the, the different the different innovative solutions that have been brought to market should and will stay. We may not see, you know, healthcare professionals with heat guns on job sites forever, but when it comes to ensuring everybody on the job sites, you know, healthy and is qualified and you know when they're there and you know when they've left so you can you know, keep those accurate records. Companies were, you know, see the value in that outside of the pandemic and, and have implemented it into the regular processes. So I think that you know, anyone who's trying to revert back is going to be left behind anyways in the industry. So it's really just a matter of how can we take what we've take what we've added to our safety processes because of COVID and you know strip out the stuff that might be very COVID specific, but leave you know everything else there that is just improved safety for your projects and your job sites. And I think all that ties directly back into what Stan was saying, just about, you know, trust. Like when, when you establish that trust and you've built up these processes, I think it would be 
disruptive to pull a large portion of them out. Like you said, the very COVID-specific ones, obviously, like those likely won't linger forever, but there's there's so many lessons learned and improvements that we've made that it would be, I think, uncomfortable for a lot of people to to revert back to them for you know arbitrary reasons. So I think this is a great moment to pivot to the second segment of today's show, which is tied to building a culture of safety at your organization. I've also got some questions to throw at you guys about what the future looks like regarding job site safety, specifically tied to safety technology. And so I am excited to dive in on that safety tech specifically, but before we do that, let's start with some basics. So can you share your thoughts on where our listeners should start as they look to create a robust safety culture at the organization? And then we can get to the tech part uh, a little bit later. Yeah, Eric, the key word here is just start. You know, take initiative, be proactive and not reactive. Oftentimes, you know, a lot of smaller companies are like, well, you know, I'm not as big as Turner. I can't, I, don't, I can't afford a safety manager. I can't afford all these practices and these tools. And what you end up doing is becoming reactive to safety. So you only react to safety when something bad happens. And oftentimes that's too late, right? So taking steps now, start, start small, you know, start just with documentation, whether it's a, a observation a report as you're walking the site, you know, inspections, toolbox docs, trainings, all those things are available to you. And a lot of these things are free that you can easily access from the web on your phone and engage with it. The other key thing that I would recommend is make it easier for the guys in the field to capture data. You gotta imagine these guys are working, you know, they're responsible for building, they're, all, they're responsible for making sure the schedule's on, on track. So you wanna make sure that they have an easy way to capture the data. So as they're walking the site, you know, provide them, uh, you know, tools necessary to be able to capture that, whether it's a photo capture, whether it's documentation, uh, with multitude of apps out there so that they don't have to go back to the trailer or go back to their car and spend two hours documenting what happened. You know, so make it easy for those guys to capture as they're doing their normal course of walks and observations. And obviously ensure that the data that they captured is easily transferred back to the office. So, you know, whether it's a toolbox talk training, whether it's a checklist or, or a JHA, that information can be easily accessed by the safety manager so that they can see compliance and kind of leverage that to get insights into how the job site is, is doing. So those are the key things that I would recommend, you know, we do. And just be proactive. Start start now, start small, and you'll slowly kind of build out that culture. Culture doesn't happen on one day. It takes time, but you have to put in the time to make sure that, you know, you, you have that strong safety culture in your company. Absolutely. You know, I think the the word in the question of, you know, creating a robust safety culture, it starts with creating a safety culture. And I, again, you know, it really builds upon what Stan's saying in terms of being proactive, making it a priority within the organization. Cost, you know, cost shouldn't be an inhibitor in this when you look at the free tools that exist. And, you know, if it just comes down to, again, coming back to Zoom or Microsoft Teams, if people are, you know, already paying for Microsoft 365 or Office, you've got sort of teams, I think, built into that. So, you know, if you could have your senior your senior folks that are within your organization that have, you know, the, the best experience, just get on a Zoom call and go over best practices with your team. And this may be, you know, something that a lot of the listeners are already doing. I think that goes a long way. You know, you're establishing trust with your, your team members. Um, you're engaging them in the process. You're, have, you're having, you know, conversations with them where they can ask questions and feel part of the process. I think the last thing you want to do is, you know, just send a safety policy to your employees and have no conversation around it. Uh, so if you can, you know, start with the basics, create a policy that your you know, company wants to run off of, communicate it in ways where the, you know, the rest of the you know, team members can engage, that's the starting point. And, you know, that doesn't even you know, really take you into all the different types of safety solutions that can really take you from a basic safety program to the robust one that we're discussing. But it definitely starts with being proactive and, you know, you don't want to be focusing on safety after you've had an accident or an incident. You know, that's not good for anyone. So absolutely starts with just starting. I like that. And it's, I know it's easy to get stuck in that decision paralysis kind of environment or moment where there's, there's so many decisions you can make and it's easy to go, oh, look at all this technology I consume, can consume to, you know, go make that happen. But 
you're both absolutely right. Like you've got to start with those basics. You've got to build your plan. You've got to make sure your culture is intentional. And that's when you have the opportunity to start layering everything else on to really bring yourself up to that, that top tier thing. And we know the resourcing changes from organization to organization, of course, but there's always still something that, that you can do. And, you know, considering this now, how do we ensure that this approach to safety culture spans the entire job site and the project team? And what I mean there is making sure that safety culture isn't siloed from stakeholder to stakeholder on a project. So like maybe the GC's safety culture is robust and maybe one of the trades partners isn't necessarily or vice versa. Like, how do you make sure that it's not different from team to team and everybody's just, you know, being as safe as possible? So, you know, I think the construction industry is, you know, one of the most unique industries when it comes to multi-employer workplaces. You know, it's, there's so few job sites that are just one employer uh, where safety can be managed by just one company. And, you know, I think when you look at where, where the construction industry needs to go in terms of safety, um, collaborative solutions have to be considered, have to be a part of your evaluation. You know, this can't be, we can't be looking for solutions that silo information because you're, rarely if ever working by yourself in your work. So, you know, solutions that are, are purpose-built, that are collaborative, that are easy to use, those and that are affordable given, you know, the size of companies, those are typically the, the decision-making criteria that we see, you know. And I think if you're starting with the mindset of we should be picking solutions that other contractors can also use, that's going to help, you know, long-term in, in your decision-making. You've made the right choice. You know, you can collaborate with other companies. It's not one system that can't talk to another. So I think you know, those are the kind of the keys that I, I would consider. Purpose-built solutions that are very easy to use, not a lot of training required. You can pick them up and know how to do things. And they're affordable given the size of the contractor. Yeah. And, and to add to that, you know, collaboration, as you mentioned, Lee, is key. And, you know, we're seeing kind of this shift where, you know, previously where you know, safety and even just like the idea of a construction tech stack was very company centric. Like, hey, what's best for my company is going to be best for my project, and what's best for my project is going to be best for my workers and my 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 people. And now we're kind of like reverting that and shifting it on its axis and saying, hey, what's best for my people is going to be best for my project, and what's best for my project is going to be best for my company. So mm -hmm. when it comes to this kind of setup, you know, having that project centricity, that worker centricity is important because. If you think about it, you know, you're on a job site, you're a GC, and you've got a bunch of trade contractors. Let's say someone falls off a ladder, right? Now, that person that fell off the ladder, their company is going to be impacted, but also the project's going to be impacted, the GC is going to be impacted, the owner is going to be impacted, their EMR rate's going to go, go up, you know, their insurance is going to go up, there's going to be publicity, bad publicity. So, you know, you may have the best safety culture, but if that's not being shared throughout the project and your partners, then it's, it's not fruitful. Right. So you have to think about it in a project centricity way, in a, in a worker centricity way. So making sure that's collaboration between the GC, the subs, the workers, there's engagement and participation in those safety workflows, whether it be toolbox socks, checklist, observation reports, and, you know, really putting the forefront that, hey, safety is everyone's responsibility, not just the GC or just the sub. It's all the people that are kind of coming together to build this project. And that goes to the owner, the architect, everyone involved has to ensure that safety is priority. So that collaboration is key. You know, having that project centricity, that worker centricity is, is, is even key to make sure that, you know, we move forward in the right direction. I really like that emphasis on collaboration too. And, and you both hit the nail on the head here as far as like construction being such a unique working environment. Like what other industry can you think of where there might be 15 different companies all actively working you know, in, in some relative state of harmony for a common goal. It's it's inherently complex and complicated. So finding ways to, you know, facilitate that collaboration to, you know, share information and best practices, whether it's safety or otherwise, is so important. This is where I start getting excited about, uh, you know, alternate delivery methods like integrated project delivery and things along those lines where you're, you're really incentivizing everybody on the project team to, you know, be more transparent with all of their data versus, well, are we going to get litigious? Do I need to keep this a secret? <laughs> like that's, that's not <laughs> helpful for anybody, despite the fact that our, our contract vehicles sometimes are set up in a way to, uh, you know, keep things a little closer to our chest. So we're, we're all super familiar, of course, with the ever-increasing amount of tools available to support the construction industry. 
Can you guys share some advice on where an organization should start their evaluation process regarding technology specifically focused on improving job site safety? I, you know, I can take that one uh, to start off. I, mean, I talked about the idea of having a construction tech stack. You know, me coming from the industry, I've seen the days where, you know, you would leverage one tool for everything, right? And that, that can be very challenging just because if you think about it uh, from a product standpoint, you know, you have different personas uh, that engage in a, in a construction site. You've got your supers, you've got your payroll admins, you've got your PMs, your PEs, your owners, your architects. And leveraging just one tool for everybody just doesn't make sense. They all have different needs. So having this idea of a construction tech stack is important. You know, ensuring, hey, who are the people that are going to be capturing the most information when it comes to safety? You know, it's still going to fall on the supers and the safety managers. Hopefully it's going to be, you know, pushed out throughout everybody. So this idea of who are we targeting? Who are we trying to help make it easier for? Uh, and that really comes down to the field. So making sure it's easy for these guys to capture the information and, you know, really thinking about it in, in kind of, you know, three or four ways. One is the capture of workflows. So that capture could be your toolbox talks, your checklist, your forms, your incidents, your observation reports. You know, the other thing is the integration of that information. So coming from the field back to the office, office leveraging their PM tools or accounting tools or safety tools from an insight standpoint, then it comes into analyzing that data, right? How do we analyze, leverage big data? A lot of companies leveraging construction BI, Domo, Tableau now even, to take those big data points to make sense of, of what's going on, not just from a safety standpoint, but from an overall big picture of the job site. And then last but not least, just being proactive when it comes to training and certifications, right? So leveraging maybe an LMS system, uh, if you can, to proactively train your workers, manage their certifications, you know, whether it be, I could see it, you know, in the near future, hey, this person's covid you know, it's got the vaccine. I don't know if HIPAA will allow for that, but, you know, you'll have those types of certifications just like you have your OSHA 10 and OSHA 30 card. It'll become commonplace. So those are things that, that you know, I'd look for when evaluating technology, not just like, hey, let's get this one thing and this will do everything for us. Really start with the person that you're targeting who's going to be capturing this information and understand their workflows, understand what they do on a daily basis and how we can make it easy for them to capture this information and then kind of go down in that direction and, and, and leverage technology in an impactful way. I like that framing on, on worker personas too, because as soon as you jump into a project and you start prescriptively assigning software to everybody without actually having that conversation up front, people are a lot more adverse to you know picking it up because now you've voluntold them to use it versus you know bringing them along for that journey and discovering how yep. impactful it's going to be. Lee, do you have any thoughts here as far as, you know, jumping into the uh, the safety tech world? Well, I just think, you know, I, like there there is no silver bullet technology solution that's going to solve every single problem, whether it's safety or just everything in, in your construction project. So, you know, I'd say that the two, the two gentlemen on this call are in companies that are doing a great job of having solutions that cover a lot of what a construction site deals with. But there's still, you know, there isn't that one solution i think the you know the term that we'll keep using on this call is tech stack when it comes to you're going to have to stack multiple solutions on one another to have your your overall operation uh, digitized so with that comes connectivity integrations understanding how systems speak to one another and just you know keeping a really keen eye on new stuff new, new solutions that are coming to market what plugs into what how can i add to my tech stack and build upon it i'd say even before that you know you need to have that foundational layer before you can start stacking. And I, and I think that both of you, both of your companies, Autodesk and Raken, are, are great starting points when it comes to like your first solution to get to get put in place. Start to have a way that you can capture your data and aggregate in one place, and you know get your paperwork and a, a lot of stuff that you want to digitize going into a central channel. Uh, I think you know taking this a few steps back in the conversation, a lot of companies haven't decided who in their organization is going to be responsible for procuring and evaluating technology. So you know, it may very well start with hiring someone with a technology background or with you know kind of the right skill set to be uh, evaluating you know these types of solutions, perhaps even building a task force or a committee around it given you know your resources and the size of your company. But I think having a central, place for the evaluation and the in, you know of the different solutions to come into the fold that's you know a good starting point also would hammer this home you know over and over is engage the field early and often if the field isn't involved in this evaluation 
you're going to have a lot of problems when you get to implementation and, and rolling it out and getting buy-in from the folks that ultimately are going to use it in the day-to-day -day work world on the job site. So just making sure that, you know, you've got buy-in from the fields, you've asked them, hey, you know, we're, we're starting to put a tech stack together. What are you guys looking at, you know, in terms of areas that you want to improve? And we've, we've got, you know, these three that we're looking at, what do you think? And just make sure that that conversation is engaging the folks that are going to use the system as well as the people that are going to pay for it. Um, oftentimes it's only the latter. You're absolutely right there. And I, I do like your point a lot about very intentionally appointing or hiring a stakeholder to be responsible for that. Even if it's not their full-time job, if you're a smaller organization that has less resources, making it clear somebody owns this and we're moving it forward is so important because if you don't make that definition, it's very easy for everybody to just go, well, somebody's taking care of it. And then ultimately nobody's taking care of it. And then six months later, you've not adopted any technology and you've not moved any further down the process and your you know, digital transformation. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely an important one to keep in mind. You know, so, it often ends up being the VDC manager or the IT manager, and that that shouldn't always be the case. You know, engaging your 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 personas in the field that are actually going to use a product, you know, they should be part of that decision making process. So, don't don't uh, just pigeonhole. Okay, you you're the smart guy in the room. You know, you use VDC all the time, so and BIM all the time. But once you go pick a tool for us, but you know, starting having those conversations with the people that you're going to impact is is the is the first place, and uh, you know, make sure you have those conversations so that they're bought in, they're engaged, and then you know, you're know you making an investment that is gonna be fruitful for those guys and also for the company, so. Yeah, I agree completely too. Like like the, the VDC manager and the IT manager obviously are key stakeholders in this discovery process and they do have a very deep understanding of technology, but they're, they're most certainly not the only ones uh, involved. And I think one of my favorite things that we've been seeing in the last year to two years is just that increase in roles focused on this specifically, where somebody is brought in to manage their technology, to manage their, you know, their data and analytics processes and, and everything along those lines. And it's, it's showing a really exciting, I guess, realignment in the construction industry that has brought new focus on roles of this nature and also ultimately and hopefully attracts a more diverse audience into construction you know, from the beginning, you know, the, the people that do understand data science and data strategies and such, there's, there's just so much potential in construction with the, the robust technology that's available that, um, like, I just want to go to universities and be like, come to construction, there's so much to do. And everybody's going to be like, what? Like, I thought that was all pouring concrete. And it's like, well, yes, but no, <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's much more than that. So, Let's uh, let's pivot here. I'd like to talk about EMR ratings for a second. That's that's come up a couple times during the conversation, and of course everybody knows that EMR stands for Experience Modification Rating. Um, and I'm kidding, of course. Even though I've I've leveraged uh, EMR ratings as a as a proposal manager in a past life and put it into a bunch of different proposals, I admittedly had forgotten what it stood for. So, for those out there listening who aren't super familiar with what the heck an EMR rating is and what it means for a construction company, Lee, could you walk us through that a little bit and uh, and share your perspective? Let me just dust off my Webster's dictionary here. Um, <laughs> So, It'll jump so, right in. <laughs> so, so EMR is actually, so it's experience modification, right? You got it right there, Eric. Uh, what, it, what it boils down to is a contractor's historical experience preventing accidents and injuries on their job sites and within their companies. And that's really, you know, the resulting, what, what comes from those accidents and injuries is workers' compensation claims and litigation. Uh, so, you know, to make it very simple, the better your historical safety performance and your ability to prevent accidents for your people, the better your EMR rating. A lower EMR rating uh, results in lower workers' compensation premiums and lower insurance costs for your company. But it goes beyond that. You know, I think your your EMR is evaluated when you're bidding on projects, shows your competency as a partner in a trade on an on a on a project. And when you're bidding on work, it's probably one of the top things that is looked at. So you know, the construction industry is continuing to increase insurance rather sorry insurance in the construction industry has continued to increase in costs over the last couple of years we've seen you know 2x plus in insurance increases and in premium costs so really i think you know finding ways to control that it, you know that's i think 
when you're trying to when you're trying to create an ROI argument within your organization around safety technology and safety solutions, this is your number one selling point in terms of how you're going to save your company uh, money and where money is going out the door by not having uh, adequate safety solutions in place. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and you know, for kind of like layman's term, it's kind of like that driving reference, right? The better the driver, uh, the lower your insurance rates. So it's very simple. When it comes to the same thing here, the, the the stronger your safety culture, the less accidents and near misses that you have on site, the lower your you know, your bonding capacity increases, your EMR rate goes down, and you know you can bid on certain jobs like certain private government jobs. You know you need to meet these criteria, so it opens up opportunities for you as a company. So you know making sure you have that safety program and culture in place is extremely important, and being preventative and not reactive is a key key thing to ensure that your EMR rating is is low. So we've got a room full of tech-focused uh, individuals here. Stan, do you have any thoughts on how a company might improve their EMR by leveraging technology specifically? Yeah. You know, the, the goal of the EMR is to make sure the workers are safe, right? If you don't have accidents on site and you have you know, all these workers working and, and your EMR rate is going to go down. But to ensure that there are no accidents, you have to be... You know, you have to make sure you have a good safety culture in place. And I really break it down into like four areas. One is capture. So you want to make sure you capture what's happening on site. So, you know, observations, incidents, uh, inspections, toolbox talks, your JHAs, AHAs, all those things that need to be captured, you capture those digitally. A collaboration, which we talked about, not just, you know, safety is my responsibility as a company. No, safety is everyone's responsibility on the job site. You know, so making sure that there's collaborative workflows, that everyone's collaborating in, in the capture of that data. And then the ability to integrate, right? We talked about the idea of a construction tech stack, right? So the information captured from the field for all these safety processes needs, needs to integrate back to the office, to their PM solutions, to the ERPs, to their clouds, to their BI solutions. So making sure that you can integrate is, is important. And the last but not least, analyze, right? You're analyzing that data, understanding, you know, hey, are there any nuances? Are there any, you know, correlations that we can use to better protect ourselves, better protect the job site, better protect the workers? So those are the four buckets that I would look at in, in ensuring you can lower your EMR rate, capture, collaborate, integrate, and then analyze. I think if I was adding anything to that, you know, I think the ones that I had mentioned, ensuring that everyone's everyone on site is qualified to perform their specific work safely and have received the necessary training to perform that work safely. And you can verify that beyond, you know, each individual's specific training. I think job site safety and just empowering people to a, have an understanding as to what they need to be aware of in terms of safety on the job site and ensuring that that information has been communicated in the, you know, the the preferred language that an individual speaks, I think is very important. So they can, you know, make, make sure they understand what you're saying um, and you know, they really buy into what they need to understand for their safety on a job site. And then just throughout the life of a project, are you able to track that, you know, what, you know, the orientation that you gave someone in year one, you know, your year three and the project is in a completely different state, the weather's different, you know, you're working in a completely different environment. Maybe that orientation needs to be renewed or, Maybe some OSHA training needs to be re retaken. Um, and ultimately, just making sure that, you know, people on site are trained properly, you know, what, what work they're performing. And to Stan's point, you know, capturing as much information as you can and about safety. And, and I think most importantly, empowering the folks that are on the job site to be able to capture that information easily. You know, taking pictures of things that need to be communicated to the, you know, to the site superintendent or the supervisors. Of, hey, this doesn't look safe. I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that I, you know, comment on that and get you that information. Um, all these things are going to contribute to safer job sites, which means less incidents, less accidents, and yeah, bring that EMR rating down. And, and your points here really lead into my next question, actually. And, you know, as the amount of technology on each project increases, the volume of data across the board, especially tied to safety, has increased dramatically along with it. And so... From a safety perspective, can you can you share with our listeners like what data is really valuable to be collecting and analyzing? Like what should they focus on if they're you know coming to the job site and going, okay, we need to be safer, and I want to track some you know some very important data points to ensure that we're headed that direction. You know, it's almost a I'm almost trying to think the opposite as to what data isn't valuable when it comes down to you know what would you exclude from the data you know conversation, and there's you know very few that I think. You would, but 
ultimately, though, the obvious ones are who's, you know, what's going on on the job site, who was sort of the who, what, where, when, why, you know, who was on the job site, what training qualifications did they hold, when were they there, where were they, what work were they performing, and how was it being done? And I got, you know, largely data around those questions should capture most of what will we'll relate to safety, but I'm sure Stan's got a few more to add. No, I mean, that's a, that's a good way to put it, who, what, where, when, why. I mean, that's that's exactly, you know, what should be focused on. Obviously, workflows from a, a safety standpoint, you know, capturing of photos, documentation, like user date timestamps, location data, you know, worker activity data. So you can kind of think of, you know, just like I, I use this kind of scenario in one of our demos with our clients all, all, all the time where we're like, hey, you know, we have this ability to capture toolbox talks and, you know, you can see who did it, when, what time, for what job. So, because what happens is sometimes you may have an issue, you did the toolbox socks, you did training on ladder safety and all those things, but then, you know, three months later, the worker does fall off a ladder and, you know, there's a workman's comp and, you know, OSHA is coming at you, the insurance is coming at you and we're like, hey, look, you know, we did our best to ensure worker safety. This worker was was part of, you know, three different toolbox talks and trainings to for ladder safety, you know, we may have a bad apple here, you know? So this is this is something you can protect yourself. And if you didn't have that documentation, you know, you didn't have those user date timestamps, the location of the project information, you know, you won't be able to protect yourself, right? So making sure you're capturing that information, making sure that those those metadata, you know, when it, when it comes down to is there, it's available. And as Lee mentioned that, hey, don't exclude the data. If it's there, maybe it's not noticeable, but it's there in the background. You right-click properties, you'll see all that information that you can easily use if it comes down to a court case or a dispute or a claim. So all that information is available to us and, and we should be leveraging it to protect ourselves, but then also prevent you know, accidents from happening. So all data is important in this case. Yeah, I think it really does come back to that intentionality about what you're capturing and how you're leveraging it. You know, you can you can collect all the data in the world at the end of the day if you're not actually doing anything with it or, you know, making a, an effort to infer some insights from it. You're you're not going the full distance with the with the capabilities that you have. And I know it's under overwhelming sometimes just because there's so much nuance to it, but I think it comes back to, you know, just starting and and trying to step out of that decision paralysis and leveraging all of the tools that you have available to you. So I think it's time to get our crystal balls out. And unfortunately, we're not picking lottery numbers today. And if we were, I wouldn't do it on the show. We do that in a separate conversation. <laughs> but I'd like to talk about the uh, the future of safety technology and where that the, that's headed. And I'm curious to hear if you have any insights, like what is safety going to be in construction in five years, 10 years? Like what's uh, what's changing? And I'm, I'm also curious to hear if uh, COVID has impacted that in any way. Yeah, so and I think what we expect to uh, see over the next five to ten years is just continued, you know, adoption further down, you know, in, into the the SMBs, kind of the, the small to mid-sized contractors. Right now, you're seeing the largest, you know, the largest contractors in the country are adopting solutions and implementing them, and a lot of times it's on their, you know, larger, more high-profile projects, which makes a lot of sense. Those are the biggest projects to protect, and there's the most, you know, personnel on those sites. I think what we'll see now is when when the comfort level is found with these solutions on the major projects in the largest companies, that's really that you know tipping point where then the early majority and the the rest of the industry starts to have trust that the you know the solutions are adequate and are not going to overwhelm them or they're not going to make the wrong decisions. So ultimately, I think that you know you're just going to see more adoption building upon the foundations that are being laid right now, the biggest companies, you know, leading the way with that, just given they've got larger budgets and bigger teams to take on these types of initiatives. But our hope is that, you know, the mid-sized contractors and the smallest contractors are buying in as well. And the solutions that remain in market are, are built uh, for those people so that there are, you know, collaborative solutions that remain in place because, it's, you know, again, to say it again, it's the collaborative industry. Everyone, every job site's going to have Almost every job site is going to have multiple employers on it. So the more that we can get, you know, the biggest companies working with the smallest companies on similar platforms, the better the industry is going to move forward. Yeah. I mean, to, to look at it from a five-year and a 10-year perspective, I'd start with the five-year and, and, you know, Lee, you hit it on the, on the, on the, on the head here. Collaboration is key. You know, having that collaboration is important. You know, the safety being the responsibility for the entire project job site team and not just the GC or just my company. So, 
how we do that within technology or, or non-technology is, is going to be important uh, so that you have that trust established within your partners. Now, if I look like 10 plus years, you know, I, I see, as Eric, you mentioned, like the different, you know, contract delivery methods, you know, IPD and all those things kind of come into play, you know, companies leveraging maybe factories, you see, you hear about factory OS, you hear about automation, you hear about, you know, prefab and modular and sensors and all that information being captured. So leveraging big data to be able to capture that information and ideally leveraging data to get better rates and discounts, right, from your insurance providers. I'd like to see that. I mean, if I'm a good driver, I get a better discount. If I have a strong safety culture, I should get a better discount on my on my insurance rate from my provider. So I would like to see that correlation happen and, and work with those insurance companies and partners so that we can provide those rates. And then the other thing that I see is, you know, we, we hear about like, oh, the robots are taking over. They're going to take over. And what I'd like to see is, you know, the augmentation of capture data, right? So we're capturing data, the workers capturing data, but you can also capture data passively. You know, you've got 360 cameras, you've got your earth cams and that are capturing data and analyzing. You got companies like SmartVid that is telling you, hey, if he's wearing a hard hat or not. So being able to passively capture data and augment that with the data captured by the field and foreman to provide a more holistic approach uh, is going to be key, and then leveraging that to get real-time analysis so that you can be, you can take action right away, right? You're not waiting for something to happen months down the road. You're seeing it happen, and you're taking action right away based on the data that's being captured. So those are the things that I'd like to see, and we're already seeing that happen in a small kind of way, and, and maybe it is targeted towards those bigger GCs and subs, but having that trickle down to the rest of the industry and the rest of the partners is going to be key. I'm also pretty excited about where, you know, robotics and AI and all these different, you know, helpful tools that will, you know, address even things like the labor shortages in construction. I think there's a, a, an important education conversation that needs to happen where, like, we're not eliminating jobs. We're giving you the opportunity to focus on the jobs that humans are better at doing. And if we can delegate something else to a robot to either alleviate labor shortages or keep people safer... It's it's kind of a no-brainer in you know the the future state of the construction industry. I'm uh, I'm also hopeful for uh, you know mechanical exoskeletons because I just want to get my hands on one of those. Um, although I don't know what the uh, the applications will necessarily be in construction. Overhead <laughs> so, drilling. <laughs> yeah, It'll, uh, things will start getting exciting in about ten or fifteen years, depending on where our uh, our uh, you know hybrid tech goes. So. I've got one more question for each of you before we end this episode. And our listeners know this one comes up every, every week for my guests, and I really enjoy asking it. So can you tell me what is one tool you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? Stan, how about you kick this one off? You know, I was thinking about this. Obviously, you know, you think about your face mask. I always sometimes forget carrying my face mask going to the grocery store. But now, when I was at the job site, it was always PPE. You know, my superintendent wouldn't let me leave the trailer until I had my full PPE. So every time I'd leave the trailer, I'd have my vest on and I always kind of do the pat. Like I got, I got my gloves, you know, got my my goggles and you know put them on and then go to the job site. So PPE is always top of mind for me, and that's just kind of in, instilled from my super back in my Turner days. I like the uh, the pocket check. I do the same thing every time <laughs> I leave the house, even if I'm not looking for PPE. Although mask now is part of that conversation. It yeah. wasn't uh, uh, you know, a year and a half phone, ago. Phone, wallet, key, and mask now. Exactly. Phone, wallet, key, masks. Phone, wallet, key, masks, yeah. <laughs> Although I, I am still mortified every time I get out of my vehicle and I haven't put my mask on. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what are people going to think of me? Like I'm, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to be out in public. Um, it's going to be strange to go into the store, you know, in six or eight or 10 months and not have our mask on and be able to smile at each other. And, you know, the, the world's going to be changing soon. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about that. So Lee, how about you? What's, uh, what's your tool that you would always carry in your toolbox no matter the project? Well, it's construction safety week, so I'll, I'll definitely double tap the uh, PPE and upvote that. I mean, without question, that's going to be you know involved in every every day. But as we continue to talk about you know technology solutions that will very likely run on a smartphone, a tablet, or a laptop, powering those devices in the field is always the next question: Do I have battery life? So maybe a little lame, but uh, a portable power supply for your your la your laptop, your tablet, or your phone to make sure that you've got battery power on the job site. Second to that, also lame, a Wi-Fi booster. 
if you don't have good connectivity on the job site, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to use any of these technology solutions. So I can't say smartphone, but I'll say the things that power the smartphone. <laughs> Those are good answers, and and I uh, I carry all that stuff even when I'm not you know trying to do some work. The uh, the battery pack I've, I think I have three kicking around the house at this point, especially with uh, with PG and E turning our power off out here in California on the regular. And then uh, the Wi-Fi adapter, this is, this is kind of funny, but when I do vacation, I'll oftentimes hybrid working remotely and not. And I bought an external Wi-Fi antenna that has like a 15-foot cable. And the last time I was in Mexico, I had it tied to the top of my beach umbrella so I had enough Wi-Fi access so I could sit down by the ocean and, uh, and still work. So I don't think any of those answers are lame. <laughs> and uh, if, you know, if they can facilitate getting work done, and also, you know, possibly uh, enjoying yourself, I'm, uh, I'm all for it. So do either of you have anything you'd like to plug that our listeners should know about? So I'll, I'll start, you know, for listeners looking for a solution to ensure qualified workers on your job sites and to be able to track accurate time and attendance, worker demographics, all the different information about the workforce on your projects. I uh, would love to help you out. Give me a shout. I'm Lee at MyComply and uh, happy to connect with you. Yeah, I'll put a plug in for Raken for sure. You know, we're a field management app that really has a superintendent former on the forefront. So we start with them, make it easy for these guys and gals in the field to capture their their key workflows, whether it be daily reports, time cards, photos, material, equipment, toolbox talks, you know, JHAs, checklists, and then essentially capture all that data and provide insights and reports back to the office. So a payroll admin who's processing the payroll can now do it much faster. A safety manager now has full insights into what's happening on their safety uh, site. The executives know visibility into the job site. So that's kind of what our focus is. So if you guys are looking for something very simple and easy to use for your guys in the field, you know, look at us, rakenapp.com. And if you need to hit me up, just hit me up on LinkedIn or email me at stan at rakenapp.com. Excellent. And you both have, you know, just such excellent solutions, which is why I'm so excited to be having this conversation here. Lee, did you have any uh, any way you wanted people to reach out to you if they wanted to contact you as well? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the Lee Evans in Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, but you'll find me through MyComply and you can reach my email as well. Lee, L-E-E at MyComply.net. Awesome. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. As always, if you want to reach out with any questions or would like to be a guest on an episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at Builder underscore digital. You can also check out our new homepage by visiting construction.autodesk.com forward slash podcast. On that page, you can sign up for our biweekly newsletter and even suggest show topics or future guest ideas. And of course, please like, subscribe to, or share this episode if you enjoyed it. It really does help my team when you do that, so I'd really appreciate it. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.